quantum computing fundamentally is the best way to process information based on the laws of physics as we know them. I had constructed what I thought of as the generalization of the universal Turing machine. Can an astonishingly powerful new realm of computation be found within the quantum world? Will researchers ever realize the goal of what they call quantum supremacy? And what would it mean for our society if they did? From its fundamental building blocks to the ultimate goal of a truly universal quantum computer, join me, Oxford Professor of Philosophy Peter Millikan, as I explore this and many other questions on the Future Makers podcast. Available today from wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Future Tech Health Podcast, and I have uh, Dr. David Cave. Uh, he's a gastroenterologist. Uh, he's a professor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, uh, teaching gastroenterology. So, uh, Dr. Cave, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, tell me about uh, you know when you're teaching. What's the um, what is gastroenterology about? Is it just about uh, so gastric bypass, or is it uh, what, what kind of conditions comprise a typical gastroenterologist practice? So for a general gastroenterologist, it's quite wide ranging. Um, we look at and uh, study uh, diseases of the esophagus, the true stomach, small intestine and colon, and include the pancreas and liver. Um, so it's really gastroenterology and hepatology. And then people specialize in subdivisions of that. And what got you personally interested in this area you know, versus others? Well, I've had a number of interests over the years, but the most current one is a interest in um, what's called video capsule endoscopy. These are little pills that you can swallow. They're quite, quite large in the sense that uh, um, they're bigger than the average aspirin, but nevertheless, they're pretty easily swallowed by most people. And these have the capability of taking pictures all the way through the GI tract. And it's given us a new way of looking at, at the intestine, um, providing very useful diagnostic information. They're not able to do anything at the moment. Um, they, they can't biopsy or anything like that. But they can give us information in a, in a way that nothing else can. Yeah. And I've been using these since um, the day the, the first device was introduced back in 2001. Oh wow! And the, the reason yeah, for that one, I think I've seen a video of it. And, you know, it, it, I think I've seen images. It looks like mostly smooth 
smooth walls or sometimes wrinkled walls as you go down through the tracks. But I'll, I'll ask you about what you've seen. So go ahead. Yeah, so um, the my, my interest in it really developed very early on when I was interested in bleeding from the small intestine, which at that time we used to call obscure bleeding because nobody could find the source of the bleeding. And because we had some rather, in retrospect, primitive instruments, which really couldn't get us into the small intestine, which is about 18 feet long or thereabouts. So we, it, because we couldn't get there, there was really no interest in the small bowel. And then I saw this little device in a focus group and immediately contacted the uh, company that was uh, producing it. And the day the FDA approved the device, I started working with it. And in the Northeast of the United States, I was the only person really using it for about a year and a half. And in that time, unleashed a treasure trove of uh, new information, which nobody had been able to see before. It was quite extraordinary. So what kinds of interesting things have we learned by uh, having people swallow these cameras? Well, there's the pretty well-established information you can get now in terms of bleeding um, from what we call angiectasia. These are superficial blood vessels, and they can produce just a mild anemia or, or profound blood loss. And now it can provide the, a map of where these are. And then we can go set about uh, looking at the best way of treating them. And we now have a, a whole range of different long scopes, which we call deep enteroscopes, which we can get at many of these. Not all of them. And occasionally, we have to resort to surgery. And then the more uh, the rarer issues are uh, tumors, either benign or malignant, um, inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease particularly. Um, and various genetic syndromes where you grow polyps in the small intestine, which otherwise very hard to deal with because you weren't really able to visualize them. So it's opened up a whole uh, range of things in the small intestine, and the field is evolving, and perhaps we can talk about that later, but uh, getting the capsule outside the small bowel uh, to look at a variety of different things and ways of controlling it and so on. Interesting. So what's... uh... What have we learned about some of these common diseases like Crohn's or IBD or, you know, bleeding in the intestines? Uh, what what do we see now that we didn't see before? Do we understand the causes or the consequences of what the morphology of these diseases look like? Yes. Yeah, so we, we can see things now in a way we literally could not before because uh, conventional x-rays and barium studies really didn't reveal almost any of this. CAT scans and uh, MRI scans are quite helpful, uh, but they are not as, um, don't have as high a resolution as the, as the capsule devices. So if you're talking about bleeding, we, uh, those devices are no good for looking for these little angiectasias, but we can see them very easily with these capsules. So we can then define how we treat them. And the, similarly with tumors, if the tumors are large, they're obviously easy to find by a variety of different techniques. But when they're small, in the order of a centimeter, uh, they're very hard to find, but the capsule is good at picking them up. And then with Crohn's, the, um, again, you can see the basic disease quite easily, but you don't know the more subtle aspects of it, little tiny what we call aphthoid ulcers, little tiny ulcers with a little red ring around them. Those you really can't see with anything except the capsule. Yeah. And then to your question about um, you know, what's it really uh, opened up is a, a disease which in 2000 and I knew nothing about with an acronym of CNSU, which is chronic nonspecific stenosing ulcerative enteritis, 
good mouthful, um, described really in the f Far East, not in a large number of patients, but when I ran into this in Tokyo at a meeting, I came back and started looking for it, and we've now found about 25 cases. Oh. And this was entirely due to the fact the capsule is able to see these this ulcerative disease uh, in a way that no other modality can. Have you, uh, is there a time stamping feature? When you swallow the pill, you could look at transit times through the different parts of the digestive system and maybe get a better understanding of, uh, you know, if transit time correlates to any conditions or, or anything yes. like that. There's, there is a special capsule called the smart pill, which measures uh, transit time um, and, and, and acidity in the gut. But so does the, uh, the capsule that has the video capability also transits in exactly the same way. So you can make the same measurement of distance. Um, but it doesn't measure pH, but it's not terribly useful measurement. Um, but the capsule spends a few seconds in the esophagus under normal conditions, maybe 40 minutes in the stomach, true stomach, and then transits the small bowel in about four hours. And then in the, unless you do what's called uh, um, capsule colonoscopy, um, you don't see uh, much, uh, if, if anything, of the, the large intestine. But if you clean out the large intestine, then you can see the large intestine quite well. Hmm. Can you see the various sphincters? You know, as you, you enter the stomach, as you yes. the stomach. So what the, do those look like? Anything interesting there? Uh, sometimes. Um, normally, they, they are most useful for defining where the small intestine is. And then that gives you some idea as to where any particular lesion is. Of course, you can measure the percentage of time it takes to get to a particular point from one of those fixed points. Any uh, sense of the variation in transit time between different parts of the digestive system amongst different people or any interesting yeah, it, trends? It, it, or, uh, it's surprisingly system? variable. Um, I've seen it go through the stomach literally in seconds, um, and I've seen it go through the small intestine in as short as 20 minutes, um, hmm. and I've seen it take as you know many, many hours. Over the since, since I got started on this, the the battery life's extended very considerably, and some of them now, uh, where we started with eight hours, may be out as long as twenty hours. So it's changed a lot. Wow! And the has this led to like a rewriting? Yeah. You know, has this has this changed the you know what's taught now in uh, medical school? I mean, I would think the learnings have, have changed what we thought, and now things are taught differently. Yes, it, it's it's certainly making an impact on that, and some of the future developments are going to change a lot of what we do. Haven't changed the way we manage uh, acute gastrointestinal bleeding. Uh, hasn't changed in 50 years, but this is going to change that. How often are these pills used? Are they expensive? And is this like the first go-to for gastroenterologists, or is this only like used in very rare cases? No, um, certainly not in rare cases. Uh, it's becoming. Um, most practices uh, use it. Um, the the big thing that's going to is come on really on the uh, uh, waiting at the at the door, if you like, is artificial intelligence and assistance in reading it. Um, because at the moment, it unless you're doing it on a frequent basis, it can take you quite a while to read it. I can read one of these capsules depending on how long it takes the transit in 15 to 20 minutes. But somebody who only uses it. You know, once a month is going to take probably 40 minutes or longer to read it. So that's one of the things that slowed down acceptance of the device. Well, I could also see you'd want to have machine vision 
you don't have to have a text sit there and watch, you know, <laughs> this, this the same movie over and over, waiting for the moment where you see a, um, you know, a cyst or a, a tumor or something. So exactly. if vision could automatically pick up, you know, non-normal structures, then it could just buzz through the tape and see it quick, you know? Yes, and just present you with the findings. And uh, I think within five years, um, uh, the AI and machine learning will, will be transformative. Yeah, that's super interesting. Huh. Have um have we used this on people with uh, gastric bypass? And if so, yeah. like, what what do you see there? So obviously you don't see the excluded stomach, um, but you see the small intestine in exactly the same way as you would normally. Hmm. Granted, times a bit quicker because um, you doesn't have to wait. Um, and as far as I know, the this device is one of the safest devices we we ever use in the sense that. I think there are probably four million that have been used over the over the last uh, from 2001 till now, maybe more. Uh, particularly now that China's jumped on, um, um, there has not been a death associated with it. There have been one or two very sure. rare complications. So it's pro- it's at least as safe as taking a blood sample. And I guess so, if you have to do an intervention, you know, the whole digestive system is pretty long. Like you said, the intestines are 18 feet long. This can right. pinpoint. To within, I guess, an inch where the problem is, then you can go in very specifically and, and fix an area if possible, right? Well, unfortunately, we can't, we cannot localize it anywhere near that accurately at the moment. Oh. Um, we really, it's guesswork. So you can get to the nearest two or three feet is probably the closest you're going to get. Um, but nevertheless, that's oh, really okay. helpful. Um, just because we don't have... Uh, uh, a, a pedometer on the uh, device. A lot of very good people have looked for ways of measuring it, <clears throat> um, measuring how far it's gone. And I think, again, um, very shortly we will uh, have a technology that, that will be able to pinpoint it to the nearest few inches. Well, I mean, this may take a long time, but if you had a person standing you know, against a screen and then you had a camera or some kind of device that would send a signal to and get a signal back from the pill, you literally could probably trace out on the person where the pill is at that time and, you know, observe its path and then reconstruct exactly how their intestines and all that are shaped and where they are three-dimensionally. I mean, I guess it would take a long time, but you could yeah, that, some of that. I mean, that, that's the catch, that uh, time is money. And to have somebody yeah. do that. Um, I mean, we've, we've managed quite well uh, in terms of, localizing where something is and by and large it um the correlation between what a capsule sees and what is seen by the technique i mentioned a little while ago the deep enteroscopy uh, is really very good um mm-hmm. although if you if you go from the top you can go from the bottom but the, there is still in most people uh, a no man's land which you can't get to but we can yeah. manage that what happens to the pill as it goes through the digestive system i mean it would wouldn't the camera get obscured by, you know, the stuff in the stomach or as, um, as the, you know, the digestive chyme develops or the feces develops, it would obscure it and train the camera at some point? Yes, I, that, that's an ever-present problem, and people use various different preps. We personally don't, um, particularly if we're looking for bleeding because we don't want to disturb where the blood's coming from. Um, but... Uh, and it's still very contentious whether a prep is necessary. So if you've got a, a simple pill that you can swallow, you only have to be a, you know fasting for eight to ten hours. Um, people love that, 
because um, it's such an easy test to do. Yeah. And then, as I say, if you're going to do the colon, then that's the whole, it, the prep is at least as rigorous as uh, for colonoscopy. Oh, why? Well, because you, you haven't, uh, there's no uh, screen wiper on the, uh, on the capsule. So you've got a, yeah. a, a really an absolutely clean colon to see polyps in, in the colon. Have, uh, I don't know if this is ridiculous, but have, you know, have we ever tried to mount a camera somehow in the wall of the colon and watch it as it goes from empty to full and see what that looks like? Very interesting question. Um, no is the short answer. There's a capsule which is developed or in development, um, which uses, um, I think, a form of radiation which can work in the unprepared colon and de detect polyps that way. Um, it hasn't hit the market yet. Um, but the and the the other problem is that um, the people who the insurers don't want in general to lo uh, let loose the colon capsule because although it's a good diagnostic device, it has no therapeutic capability. So if you find a polyp, you've still got to do a colonoscopy. Hmm. And a good colonoscopist is going to find polyps in about half the population. Hmm. So they just don't want that in additional expenditure, which is not unreasonable. Yeah. <clears throat> so you must have seen um, tons of these uh, these camera journeys. What what are some of the interesting things that jump out at you? So as I say, we things like there's a condition called the Pertz-Jäger syndrome, which is genetically determined and uh, from short childhood onwards, people develop polyps, and they may have literally dozens of these uh, throughout the small intestine. So to be able to see these and as, they, as they evolve, you can take out the big ones, leave the little tiny ones, and then that's three years later, you recheck it, and some, some have grown, some have not. It's, uh, you know, it's offered us a new window on the world. Okay. And um, we're taking it now into um, a variety of different areas um, for people who have acute bleeding. Uh, we have a um, uh, we did what's called a randomized control trial, which is a sort of gold standard quality trial. We compared the detection of active bleeding with using a capsule really as soon as the patient comes into the hospital with a standard of care, and we were almost three times better at detecting the bleeding. Mm -hmm. So then you can do once you know the, where the bleeding is, if you need to, uh, you can do what I call site directed. Uh, therapeutic endoscopy. So that's going to change a lot of what we do. And there was a yeah, gentleman I in... The, um, well, I, I said it already, but I mean, I, I could see that the machine vision part of it's going to be critical here, feature identification. Actually, for that, uh, well, yes and no. Um, if you could provide, if the machine learning could be translated into providing, say, a sound signal or a signal to your telephone, cell phone, um, that would be fantastic. Um, but to pick up blood in the intestines is actually very easy, and you can look at the capsule in two minutes and see where the bleeding is coming from. You may not know what's bleeding, but if there's active bleeding going on, you can find it really quickly. Have you noticed anything? You've been doing this for, what, 18 years? Yes. Using these cameras? Mm -hmm. Any trends over the past 18 years? Any new things that are suddenly appearing or that you see in different populations? Yes. So the in the States... There are four FDA-approved devices um, which do really much the same thing. Uh, they use white light, and the quality of the uh, cameras in them is quite extraordinary. Um, 
you probably know what a villus is. They're little hairs on the small cells of the small intestine. You can pick those up, um, hmm. uh, and those are really tiny, uh, oh. tenth of a millimeter. So uh, gives you an idea of how refined the imaging is. Um, but the thing that's uh, that's probably gone as far as it's going in those sort of terms. But what needs to be explored is different wavelengths of light. See if that helps uh, improve detection of bleeding or um, tumors or other things as yet undefined. But I think one of the most exciting things is in a Chinese company has recently um, got a, a magnetically controlled capsule to work. And this is something you can swallow. You can get a few images of the esophagus. And then with a joystick, you can literally steer the capsule around the stomach. Oh, and wow. this, does, this does not require sedation. So a patient can come in, have this examination, and um, you can take pictures with it. Um, send those over to the doctor. The patient could go over to see the uh, doctor and have his uh, di diagnosis made and treated, you know, all in the same morning without having to take days out to have uh, the sedation and then go back to see the doctor another day. You know, so what I was thinking I pictured like taking a magnet and putting it on someone's stomach and moving it around and having the pill like run back and forth through their intestine. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very challenging to get it to go through the small intestine because it takes so long. But in the stomach, okay. which is a sort of fairly large organ, um, it's it's very easy to control it. And uh, I hmm. think that's going to become a very useful tool for an awful lot of settings. What, so what does the inside of the stomach look like? Is it interesting or is it really just boring, blah, nothing special? Like, what have you seen? Well, um, again, you can see polyps, you can see ulcers, you can see tumors, um, you can see bleeding. Um, much of the time, um, when people complain of uh, upper abdominal pain or, or reflux, um, there's, a, there's a condition which you cannot see uh, because it's a sensitivity issue called functional dyspepsia. Um, it's really common. It's actually much more common than true reflux of acid, although the symptoms can be identical. And I think this capsule, this magnetically controlled capsule, will be a big help in uh, sorting this one out. Yeah, I wonder if you could have a capsule that you could pause its journey at any given point and look, you know, upstream and downstream and just observe for a little while. Yes, I think that, that sort of thing has been um, conceptualized. It hasn't been put on the market, but you're absolutely right. If you have somebody who's got really hard to find bleeding, to be able to moor a capsule somewhere in the intestine, perhaps magnetically, um, and wait for blood to come by, um, that may be very useful. Yeah, okay. Um, have we had anyone that, uh, you know, swallowed the pill like once a month for a year and tracked, uh, you know, how things look different? Have we ever done something like that? Uh, something similar. I've had, um, one elderly patient who, um, had bleeding. Um, we, we didn't know where it was from the small intestine. He had really bad heart disease. So to operate on him was really high risk. And we used four capsules in, in a week to identify where the bleeding was coming from. We finally had a really good idea of where it was coming from, and we took the risk of operating, found the bleeding site, removed it, and sewed him back up, and two years later, he's doing great. Hmm. Right. So cool. with a little persistence, cool. you know, compared with the cost of keeping somebody in an intensive care unit, the cost of the capsule is pretty trivial. Yeah, that's true. I mean, do uh, you have any estimate of what the costs are? I know, you know, insurance, no insurance, but... Uh, yes, I mean, the, the basic capital... Art? 
costs about um, $500, which in the greater scheme of things is not that expensive. Um, and then there's a technical fee and a professional fee. Okay. As so it's, it's not very different from the uh, the other endoscopic procedures. Okay. Right. So again, any trends over the uh, 18 years that you're seeing, you know, are people's digestive systems changing in reaction to our diets as our diets no, change over you, time? You or can't or see that. <coughs> That's really a metabolic problem, which is not, you can't visualize. Um, capsule has not evolved. I'm sorry, the intestine really hasn't evolved in that short time frame. Um, mm -hmm. But we have a much better idea of what's normal and what's not normal. And that's going to be a huge uh, benefit to, to help machine learning. Okay. Uh, what are, do you think will be the uh, the upcoming add-on features to uh, you know to these camera pills? As I mentioned, I think it will be interesting to explore different wavelengths to see if they may help us detect these little abnormal blood vessels. Um, mm. People have conceptualized putting instead of uh, a visualizing. Uh, um, uh, a chip in there that might use conceivably could use ultrasound uh, to look at things um, mm -hmm. that hasn't materialized yet that's the problem with that is it requires a lot of energy and uh, unless you can provide energy from outside which is theoretically possible the, ba the current battery is just not capable of uh, providing that yeah hmm. but I think the um there is there are going to be additional uses I think in the emergency room for example um, seeing if the what's happening in the esophagus in people who come in with chest pain and there's certainly more people who have esophageal problems than cardiac problems in in a population who presents to the ER with with uh, chest pain. You mentioned so the sampling. Would you have um, how would that be accomplished? How would you imagine it could be accomplished with a pill? So what's been uh, reported is the use of a uh, a string uh, attached to a capsule, so that because at the moment what we do is to lay people down on their side and then they swallow the capsule and sip water and it moves through the esophagus fairly slowly, but not slowly enough. But by attaching a string, it's been shown that you can slow the you can adjust the position of the capsule. You can either fix it or um, uh, move it up and down. So that may be a development that will happen uh, in the not-too-distant future. Well, that's right. Is, that, is the capsule tumbling as it goes through the system, or is it kind of stay in one orientation? In the esophagus, it's in one orientation. It can do anything in the stomach. And then in the small intestine, uh, it, can, uh, it can tumble. We actually didn't know that until we, we were doing a trial um, for one of the manufacturers. And we got somebody to swallow one of the capsules. And then 40 minutes later, swallow a second one. And sometimes the capsules would catch each other up. And you could see the capsule in one position. And then 10 minutes later, it was facing back at you. Huh. So we proved that it was uh, it was tumbling. Wow. Is it tumbling slowly or fast? Um, fairly slowly. It's, it, you know, it's a passive device. So it's entirely, uh, its movement's entirely uh, dependent on the, what we call the peristalsis in the intestine, the contractions of the uh, intestine. So it moves through like a, a piece of uh, food. Yeah, with, with peristalsis, does it move slowly and then fast and slowly and fast, or does it even, does it come to a stop and then move and stop and then move? You're exactly right, all of the above. And in fact, that's oh. way, one of the ways that up until now, the algorithms to help the reader has been able to, the uh, algorithms have 
can take out the same, if the image is repeated in the same place, you know, for five, 10, even 15 minutes, uh, they can take all those images out because it doesn't provide any useful information. So that oh. cuts down dramatically on the number of uh, images that you have to review. Why couldn't you selectively like uh, have the capsule off balance in terms of weight you know, make it ever so slightly weighted so that it will tend to go a certain way as it goes through the systems? Great question. Uh, never been done that I'm aware of, uh, simply because I didn't think people have come up with a, a, a thought as to how that might help. What has helped, uh, to some extent, is having a camera on both ends. Mm. And indeed, there's, there's one camera, uh, which, uh, or one, one uh, capsule, which has got four cameras. And um, that gives you 360-degree imaging. Oh, wow. Uh, so... All sorts of little tricks uh, have been developed, um, but they haven't got through the the problem of reading, which is now uh, about to change. So I think you're yeah, going to see. I wonder if you could do like a mini gyroscope that would keep the camera always facing a certain direction along with uh, a slight weight bias. Yeah. I mean, all of these things are possible. Um, the question is if the incremental um, benefit is worth it. Because... You know, if you're looking at acute bleeding, you can get up to uh, picking up the bleeding site in 90% of patients if you catch it early. Mm. So, the, you know, to, you don't need additional tools. Um, and if you don't catch it the first time, and if they re-bleed, you can catch it the second time because then you've got a very high likelihood that you'll find where the bleeding's coming from. Yeah. So it's... it's what about the uh, treating the surface of the capsule? Like, what happens, you know, have you gotten the capsules after someone's, you know, expelled them and looked at the surface and see how it was, you know, maybe eaten by acid or affected. And maybe you could treat the surface and have it layered where, um, you know, the outer surface is going to wear away, let's say in the stomach. And then the surface inside of that would be reactive in some way to the intestine. And, you know, you get data that way. Yeah. Um, the capsule does have a very slippery surface. Um, and particularly over the, the lens cap, uh, so that almost nothing sticks to it. So you don't get much, uh, although you can't remove what's in the intestine, you, it rarely, if ever, gets a piece of um, stool or something stuck on the, on the lens. So as it moves through, it stays clean and you can continue to image very clearly. It's remarkable. And because the, the capsule is quite big, it's... Uh, the the convent most of them are around 11 by 26 millimeters. Um, that's a good size pill, but 99 out of 100 people uh, can swallow it uh, without too much trouble. Yeah. Occasionally, you know, people can't swallow pills and they can't swallow this one either. But it's it's pretty rare that uh, people cannot swallow it. And if if push comes to shove, we have ways of delivering the capsule uh, to the uh, small intestine by an endoscope. Mm. Yeah, well, I've swallowed big pills and small ones, and it really depends on the shape and the smoothness and all that. And, uh, you know, the wrong shape, doesn't matter if it's tiny, it's hard to swallow, at least for me. And the right shape, you can swallow big ones. Yeah, you know, like, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Like and for kids, ones are huge. We, get, we get them to, um, I'm not a pediatrician, but uh, if you get them to swallow uh, hard candy uh, to practice, they get pretty good at it. And even a 10 or 12-year-old can do it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I guess there's so many things that can be done with these uh, pill cameras. You know, we still have yet to explore, but uh, there's a lot that can happen. Yes, it's it's opened up a whole new uh, horizon. How would you do sampling? 
the pill have to, uh, I don't know. The problem know, with the something. surface be rough to, to sample? Or what, what you, you could, but the problem is you've got to get it through the colon, which is going to give you immediate contamination at a high level. Um, mm. And it, unless you, you know, chase it through with a sort of vigorous prep, um, if you took a biopsy, it's going to deteriorate uh, because it takes time to um, get through the intestine. You know, once you've got a piece of tissue, the sooner you can get it into fixative, uh, the better. So if it had to wait 12 hours to get through, um, it could be pretty de degenerative at that point. So I don't think it's going to be very convenient to do biopsies, but just simply visualizing and maybe what we call optical biopsies with machine learning, we can get better and better at defining exactly what we're seeing. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. And does the um, does the pill tend to uh, you know run along the wall, or does it float in the middle, or does it do both? Like, what does it uh, what does it look yeah, like? Yeah, it's, it's really all of the above. As we talked about, it tumbles. Uh, it can uh, slide along. And in fact, one of the interesting things uh, we've noted is that if there's a, a big tumor there's a significant chance of missing it because the capsule will slide along the side of it and not visualize it because um, the field of view isn't quite big enough to, to 100% um, visualize things that are on the side of the capsule. Hmm. But I think, you know, that that's another thing that will improve, I think, with time is the, the field of view, which is generally around 150, 160 degrees, eventually is going to get widened out to 180 um, yeah. Okay. Well, very interesting. So, um, what's what's where are you at with your uh, your work and your teaching? Like, is there anything new that's that's coming that you're focused on? Are you doing any research, or you're just keeping abreast of what's happening clinically and and reporting on that in your teaching? Yeah. So, I do a lot of uh, clinical research, and in fact, our next project, which we're just about to start, is to expand on what we've seen. Uh, and a, a group in Hong Kong has seen. So we now plan to take people straight from the emergency room into what's called a clinical decision unit and keep them there for up to 24 hours. As soon as they get there, then you, you drop a capsule if they're bleeding uh, or randomize them to standard of care. And we're going to compare, uh, again, how, how quickly we can find the bleeding, where it is, and then make management decisions as to whether the patients need to be admitted or, or go home. And again, if they can, if they randomize to the capsule, they love it because it's much more comfortable than having scopes put into various orifices. Mm. And uh, certainly some of them um, who stop bleeding can be very safely sent home because nobody likes coming into hospital uh, and then scoped uh, as an outpatient. So I think we, we, we're on the cusp of being doing things that are very different from what had been done uh, previously. Yeah. Have you have you ever swallowed one of these pills and watched your own uh, intestinal movie? Actually, I I have not, but I've had many of my colleagues swallow them uh, in various trials. Um, I, actually, there was a a piece of physiology that got done some many years ago because um, we didn't know how the capsule behaved in terms of uh, compared with other food particles. And uh, somebody swallowed the capsule and at the same time swallowed a little blue bead about three millimeters or smaller in size. And much to everybody's amazement, the two traveled together, which 
you know, all all the previous data suggested that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was a cute little experiment. We didn't pursue it systematically, but we learned from that. So what's the uh, the range of time that it'll take someone, you know, from the time they eat something to the time they, you know, expel it? You know, ballpark, I mean, what's, what's the range of time? Range, I mean, it, if, if you've got a diarrheal state, you, something can go through in, in an hour or two or less. Hmm. Um, or it may take many days. You know, somebody's constipated, they, uh, they may have, something may uh, get expelled, you know, a week or even two weeks later. Yeah. So it's a tremendous... Well, if you're not time. constipated. If you're not, then the transit time is usually 24 to 48 hours. Oh, that long? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, very good. So, um, what's the best way for uh, you know listeners to find out more? You know, maybe get in touch or ask questions, or just you know, I don't know if there are any videos in the internet where you can watch this happening. You know, I'm sure that you can't see the person's face or name or anything, so you don't need to redact any info. But correct. Are, are there videos out there, there that people could watch? Or uh, there, there should be lots of it. I'm sure YouTube's got a lot of these. Yeah. Any way for people to uh, again follow up and ask questions? Uh, should they just go to the, uh, the hospital website, or how should they uh, get in touch? Um, if they they want or need this done, um, they can always call the hospital, and uh, we can oblige. Mm-hmm. Taking individual phone calls the... is uh, tends to get overwhelming, so um, we tend to um, avoid that if we can. It's just right. right. The uh, workload is already so heavy that uh, it's uh, additional just curiosity phone calls we we cannot deal with. I understand. Yeah, and the intellectually curious. I mean, are the uh, recommended resources. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're intellectually curious, you can find out a, an enormous amount. You just go Google video capsules, and you can find what each manufacturer has. Um, go to many of the individual publications about it in detail. Um, I mean, the the web is now just astonishing what it can provide in terms of information. All right, very good. Well, David, thank you for uh, for coming on. I really appreciate your time. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.